0: Well, I'm your host, uh, Dave Smucker, on this Significant Life podcast. I'm here with my great and dear friend, uh, Jake Byler, who is not world famous yet, and I'm rather thankful. That way we have more access to you, Jake. So uh, welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here. Grateful for the opportunity, and I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, well, hey, I would love to just uh, have you share with our guests here a little bit about who you are, maybe your family, a short version of that, just who is Jake Byler?
1: Yeah, well, so I'm a pretty simple guy. <laughs> um so for someone that doesn't know me, I'm a Lancaster County native. I grew up lived in this area all my life, uh just turned forty two a couple of weeks ago, which I'm still not quite sure how that uh, how that happened so quick.
0: I think I forgot to say happy birthday. So happy birthday, Dave. Mm-hmm. Well thank you
1: for that. <laughs> I uh I told somebody that uh you know, you get older and you, you, you know this stuff will happen. But uh, it's like when I turned 42, it's like it's not that I didn't think it would happen. I just didn't think it would happen that fast. So anyway, 42 years old, um, still single, live a very independent life and um, pretty close with my family. Um, I have five siblings. Most of them live locally. One of them lives out in Idaho, which mm. I get to travel out there once in a while to visit my brother Dave and his family. Um, but yeah, Lancaster County native, grew up in the Amish community, transitioned out of that about uh, five to six years ago, but still very plugged in the community.
0: Mm, it's amazing. And um, so Lancaster, do you think it'll be rest of your life? Like, what's Do you have any idea, like if it was up to you, would Lancaster be, so Lancaster all your life up to this point?
1: I really don't have a clear answer for that. Mm -hmm. I don't really see anything else coming, but if I would have a good reason to move halfway around the world and I would feel the (laughs) Lord's calling me to that, I would like to think that I'd be open to that or anywhere in between.
0: So good. So, what do you give, what do you invest your time into? Obviously, there's a lot of different, like, no, we don't need five minute breakdowns of your life, right? But what are the primary areas that you feel called to invest your time to um, in life?
1: So when people ask me what I do, my answer usually depends on who's asking. (laughs) uh, Because I am really, um, not in a bad way, but I really do feel like an oddball when it comes to what I do for work. Um, Mm. So primarily what I do is work as a real estate investor. And most people, when I tell them I work in real estate, they kind of automatically assume I'm a real estate agent. Yeah. And um, not that I'm offended by that, but I'm just, I'm not, I may actually choose to pursue that at some point, but I don't see a reason to so far. Mm-hmm. So my day to day revolves largely around managing a portfolio of long-term rentals. I have a handful of what's known as mid term rentals, which is furnished apartments that generally cater to travel nurse, uh, that type of thing, Mm. travel nurse housing. And then uh, probably one of the funnest things that I do in business and probably also the single biggest chunk of time is a couple of large Airbnb properties, cabin Mm. rentals. So I get a big charge out of that. Just a lot of fun. Then serve in the community, um, pretty plugged in with our local church, which is branch community. And uh, just some stuff like that and try to have fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's so interesting that you share that because, again, it, like obviously every area or, or every region in the world probably has their – what they would consider their normal, right? And here in Lancaster County, there's just a bit a lot of, hey, you just work you know, X amount of hours a day and this is what you do, it's clearly definable. But it's just interesting to me that you say, it depends on who's asking or your response and all that, a lot of people don't understand. If you tell them, hey, you're in real estate investing, well then yeah, they automatically almost think, label or they're trying to understand what it is and they come up with their own answer in that. Because I've even found that in ministry many times, like, you know, you have a ministry context here in Lancaster County and you try and explain what you do and you get a lot of blank stares. And so just to kind of help our, our listeners and our guests here understand a little bit, um, like, how did you get started in real estate? That's what I really love to hear is how did you get started in real estate?
1: Well, I wish there would be this grand story <laughs> of like something that just <laughs> launched me into it, but there's really not. Um, it probably probably the best i could describe it is i got incredibly bored with the job that i was working back mm-hmm. in my uh, throughout my teen teenage years into my 20s uh working at a local shed shop and not that that's a bad thing but i just got incredibly bored and uh so 2006 i think it was when i bought my first rental property and that was simply a result of You know, at the time, I was 24, probably. It wasn't the very first purchase I made. I bought a simple little hunting cabin up in Juniata County a couple years before that. But 2006 was my first rental property. It's funny. I still remember walking down Main Street in New Holland, seeing a for sale sign, calling a realtor, asking if he thinks that would be a good investment (laughs) property. I don't think I hardly even knew what that meant at that point. I just... Growing up, I often heard people say real estate is a good investment. And, you know, I thought it would be cool to own a house. So I called this realtor, asked him if he thinks it would be a good investment. He said, no, probably not, but I have another one you might want to look at. Mm. Well, don't you think I ended up buying that one? Not that it was a terrible decision, but it was a very uneducated decision Mm. and uh, didn't didn't do super well on that first one. Um, but as a result of that, bought a two unit another year or two later, mm-hmm. and then in 2011, I might have owned three buildings at that point. I'm not quite sure. I was just convinced I could go full time. I was convinced I could buy a property, fix it up, and sell it for a profit. And I was excited about doing that. Mm. It turns out I was right. I could do that, (laughs) but not the way that I thought it would work. I had no concept of managing rehab or especially the costs associated with it, Um, holding costs, buying costs, selling costs. I had no concept of that, but dove into it anyway, and then shortly thereafter got connected with a group or multiple groups of real estate investors, and it just kind of went from there.
0: Mm hmm and i find it's interesting like even what you talked about is there was an inner there was something within you that said okay i'm i'm rather bored with what i'm doing honestly right it was just born out of a place of boredom and not really envisioning being able to do that for the next 50 years of your life right and so you venture into this and as we share here on this podcast about living a life of significance often looks different than what we perceive as success and so in that case even though that first buy Maybe it wasn't a success financially or it didn't make sense. Like, you had to learn somehow, right? And so there's this process. Like, how significant was that first deal for you?
1: It's a pretty big deal because, you know, I mean, we have, we, we're all different. We have different personalities and stuff. But once in a while, you know, I'll meet someone and we'll talk about real estate investing. And they'll tell me about the books that they've read and the money that they've spent on education mm-hmm. And I come to realize they actually haven't even bought anything yet. Yeah. And that's a fine balance because you should educate yourself before you dive too deep into it. But, yeah, it was definitely significant for me just to get in the game, yeah. to move forward. And also a fairly big component of it for me, I don't know if I recognized this at the time but at that point, I was still living with my parents, living very cheaply. Mm. So sometimes people ask me if it wasn't scary to like leave a steady paycheck and go into that. And it wasn't. It wasn't scary at all. Mm. Um, and the reality of it was if, if something didn't work out, mm. I had plenty of options and I yeah. was living pretty cheaply. It's not like mm. I was supporting a family. Mm. Um, so that would definitely be a very different component of it.
0: Right. But even within that, I, I do talk to different people, and it's amazing how often fear holds us back from pursuing a greater dream or something that we really want to go after, whether it's a dream or a different context of what we're giving our life to, all of that different stuff. Um, and you talk about, well, if you if you step out in your 20s, you have a lot more, many more, like we're often scared at 20 years old because we're like, we don't want to set up the rest of our life for perceived failure, Right. But in our twenties, man, we've got a lot of years where we can recover from a hard, hard learning experience, right?
1: We could fail a couple times and still be further ahead yeah. than if you never start.
0: Yeah, and so I'm struck by that. For you, there wasn't really a fear of failure because it was like, well, I mean, I having, you know, I'm. It's not a big deal if if it doesn't work. I can always come up with something else or do the next thing. Um, but then I would love to hear your process as well, like growing your portfolio. Cause I think I've been struck many times as well. Like in real estate investing, a lot of people set their goals, set their dreams, say I need X amount of capital. And then you leverage all of this and this and this. And just in our conversations over the years, it just seems like your approach was very different and you often call it boring. And so I would just love to hear like, what was your journey then? So you go from the shed shop and then you, buy your first property, and then you decide, you know what, I'm going to go into this full time. I'm going to flip homes. What was kind of your next step? What was your process in growing your portfolio then?
1: So compared to what I see some people doing today, it was actually very slow and boring. Um, I mean, it was steady. And, you know, that has brought me to where I am today. So in the early years of that, it was primarily focused around flipping houses Mm. You know, buying, rehabbing, selling, hopefully for profit, which most (laughs) times I was able to squeeze something out. There was a few times where I did not. And then along the way, I would buy a couple of rental properties here and there. Mm. It was actually a really good way of finding those good deals because I was always looking for properties. And then once in a while, you came across one where it's like, you know what, I think I'm going to keep this one. Mm. So that was the approach for a while. Because as profitable as long-term rentals can be, that journey at the beginning is really, really slow. Yeah. Like it's almost non-existent for the first couple of years into mm. a property. So the flipping was basically my paycheck at that point. okay. Yeah, Very gradually, over what would be the last twelve years, mm-hmm. that just kind of gradually shifted to more of a focus on the long term rentals. Uh, The flipping has been almost non-existent the last couple of years. My rental income now is my main source of income, pretty Mm -hmm. much my only source of income. And then also four years ago, I would have bought my first Airbnb property, Mm -hmm. which is a much more active business model. It's much more active business and it's also a lot more profitable. So that produces Mm -hmm. a lot more cash flow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, really, what I'm hearing is you started out with your flipping. That was your paycheck. But over time, you started to be able to add to your personal portfolio, which meant you had more passive income through your long term rentals. And then, as that was more secure, you really didn't need the flipping for income anymore. And then you were actually able to step into more of the short term rentals, the more vacation experiences that, which is obviously a little higher risk, but usually higher profit. And that's kind of been your slow process of, of growth. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's,
1: that's correct. And the flipping is also, I kind of, I don't know that I would say I got burned out by doing that, but it's a lot of work <laughs> and it's a yeah. job. It, yeah. It's not a bad job. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it for that reason, mm-hmm. but it's not real estate investing. Yeah. And what has always gotten me excited about the investing is the just the passive income, the positive cash flow, mm-hmm. something that can sit there and without a lot of something that can sit there and without me doing something to it every day, it can produce a stream of income. Mm-hmm. Um, that still gets me excited. Yeah. And some people might think, well, what a lazy guy. Like you just <laughs> want the money to come in. You don't want to work. I actually love working. Yeah. Um but I also, love having more options yeah. and having the passive cash flow yeah. uh, just gives me a lot more options, and I get excited about that
0: and we've talked about this in the past, like some of our retreats and dinners and stuff even too, about the compounding effect, and in the kingdom, there is a compounding effect you know growth multi the the kingdom is always advancing it's always increasing it's always multiplying, and so doing something and in investing you're you're actually tying into a kingdom principle, right. And so there's that aspect of it. I even one of the things that you had said earlier in the conversation around flipping was the challenge. you weren't aware of all the challenges and the costs associated with that, because it's easy to think, oh yeah, buy a property a hundred and sixty thousand, put two a hundred in it, um, sell it for three hundred, right? And you just forget or you don't realize all your your realtor costs, right? Your transfer fees, your holding costs, your paying interest on the money. Like I'd love to hear just what you what were some of the biggest things you learned uh, as you stepped into that, that you were not anticipating?
1: So I'll, I'll share a little something with you. And this will really tell you how naive I was <laughs> when I was starting out. This sounds ridiculous to think that I, w- I would have even thought this way. But I literally remember. So after I had bought my first property in New Holland, got it fixed up, you know, put about 10000 into it, got a long-term tenant in, so I knew I paid 140 thousand for the property. So I'm in it for $150,000, 155 thousand, right? I would literally page through something like the Penny Saver, look at the houses for sale. I would look at one that was for sale for 190 thousand, and all you have is this little, you know, two by three inch picture of the house, and I'm literally making a judgment on the appearance of the house. And I'm saying, well, I think mine's just as nice as this one. <laughs> so mine must be worth 190 or whatever the number was. And making an assumption based on that that I could actually sell this and make a profit. Mm-hmm. Having no concept or very little concept of square footage, number of bedrooms, lot sizes. I'll literally look at a picture <laughs> and say, Well, I think mine's just as nice as this one. <laughs> so surely, house, huh? Yeah, I could do this. <laughs> And long story short, actually ended up selling that property um, probably six years after I bought it mm-hmm. for 137000 Wow! which is, that math doesn't work out mm-hmm. all that well. You don't want to do that a bunch <laughs> of times again,
0: over and over again, right? Yeah. That, that doesn't
1: work. Yeah. Um, along with that, you know, the market timing for that right. property wasn't great and all of right. that. So it gives you a little bit of an idea how... Yeah how little I knew when I started. And then it was getting connected with groups. And, you know, once you just do it, um, Mm -hmm. once I bought my first flip, you know, you get into problems, you figure out Mm -hmm. how to do stuff, you get contractors, and the numbers just become very real. And I've never been super good with numbers. It's not my my, uh, strongest point. But when you're doing that and you're just starting, you're still going to put some numbers on paper, Mm -hmm. and you're like, You know, after you sell, it's like wow. Like I paid that much for commission. I paid this much for interest, and you know, the numbers just become real, and you Mm. you kind of have to start paying attention to that.
0: So I also would love to hear what you've learned by being a landlord because, again, in, in every area, every industry, you always have your pendulum swing, right? Like you hear the horror stories of the landlords who had a tenant that just destroyed the place and gutted the place and didn't pay rent and took X amount of time to evict them and all of that. Well, then you have the tenant horror stories where the landlord, there was a gaping hole in the roof. They actually had water coming in their house, and the landlord refused to repair it or didn't answer their calls, and there was this total neglect, right? And so ideally, somewhere in the middle there, we're finding a common balance. But as a landlord, I'm just curious, like what is the biggest thing that you've learned about people, not specifically tenants, but people at large, because of your experience being a property owner?
1: I think in any industry that we get into, the more that we you know the more that we just communicate with people, associate with people, rub shoulders with people. And especially if it is a, perhaps a category of people that hasn't been super successful by whatever metric in their lives, you just, it's a little hard to even put words to it, but you just, I mean, first of all, when you really get to know people, which I'm not saying I really got to know all of my tenants super well, but I do care about people. So often in conversation, this and that comes out. And you, like one of the things I would say is, you realize that most people are good people. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of horror stories out there where landlords got, you know, just raked across the coals or something like that. That does happen. But in my opinion, it is very, very rare where a tenant will actually do that to someone intentionally. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's people falling on hard times mm-hmm. and they don't have either the resources or the the self-discipline or whatever to dig themselves out of, mm-hmm. of a hole. So I don't know that I could really specifically say mm-hmm. what I have learned about working, mm-hmm. you know, uh, being a landlord, but you just, I think it makes you more compassionate mm-hmm. when you kind of get a little bit of a glimpse into some people's lives mm-hmm. as a result of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's really good because really, I you know, I've heard like Let's say there's people like factory ministries in our community you know working with people they just talk so much about we often view poverty as just a lack of material wealth a lack of finances right but poverty can be a lot of different things it can be a lack of community lack of relationships lack of resources and all that and we're not just talking about people in poverty here but really what I'm hearing you say is our world view does impact our choices and our decisions right okay. and so if you grew up in an environment that impacts your worldview and if that compounds over time really what you're what I'm hearing you say as you've worked with some people through some challenging situations you've you've found that most people are good it's just they're in a situation perhaps by their own doing and we can get frustrated right because we're like how could you not see this right Mm -hmm. but in your experience as you dig under the hood and you walk with them you actually find that there tend to be good people
1: that's right and then and that doesn't mean you don't set some boundaries and guidelines. And that doesn't mean that you never evict someone. Mm -hmm. Um, A few of us were just having a conversation around this recently. And I was reminded that there have actually been multiple times. I've been to district court like quite a bit. I don't manage most of my own properties anymore. So it doesn't happen so much anymore. But I've been to district court for evictions quite a bit already. And it's really not all that hard or awkward as long as you set the expectations up front and communicate well throughout the process. Um, On more than one occasion, I remember of showing up at a property to change the locks, which is the very last step in an eviction when the constable shows up Mm -hmm. and he will forcibly remove someone if needed. Um, I remember more than one occasion where I'm there still helping. So, the constable is showing up in 10 minutes, right? Somebody's still there. I'll help them get a few last minute things out of the house, and I'll be there changing the door lock, and they might still be there chatting with me. And I'll admit it, it's a little bit awkward, but it's like, you know, the expectations were set. Mm-hmm. They probably weren't all that happy with me. But they were not expressing any anger. They mm-hmm. they knew they knew the rules. Um, I had one time where a constable shows up, and um, I'm there changing the lock, and my tenant was still getting a few things out, and the constable comes in. And he looks at me, and he looks at
0: the other guy, and
1: <laughs> he's like, "Is everything good here? <laughs> there
0: no animosity
1: here. Like, yeah. th- this this is not normal. Like, yeah. I mean, of course, he's trying to figure out who's who, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so." Yeah. You know, I feel like those things have helped me just grow as a person and also learn to work with people. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. I don't take any pleasure out of evicting someone. Um, But I've really come to a point. It's it's easier when you realize that you're actually not doing anyone a favor by letting a tenant continue with poor
0: behavior Mm -hmm. and unmet promises. Mm -hmm. You're just enabling them at that point. That's good. Yeah, you just... Don't enable somebody to continue with poor behavior and unmet promises. Basically. That's right. Yeah, that's good. And even even again, when we think about success, we're talking about success and significance, right? And so when you think about success, oftentimes even if, you know, it, what, what would maybe be a barrier for some people to get into investing in real estate is like, well, I don't want to deal with the problems, right? I mean- there's there's a laundry list of problems you can have through investing in properties. But if you're realizing that there is a way that even as you growing as a person in those situations and walking with people, like what a privilege and opportunity to actually have significance. It may not be the outcome either party wants, but you can still be a witness, still have significance in those relationships and conversations is really what I'm hearing.
1: That's correct. And I totally get not everyone... You know, not that I think everyone should do what I do. Mm. <laughs> you know, we all have yep. different tendencies, different yep. gifts, different things that yep. you know get us excited. Yeah. And I just kind of found it's just yeah. something that I that I have done pretty well
0: yeah. with. And I would love to hear your thought on, the, on stewarding wealth because, again, we're talking about making choices and not enabling people. And so there's a stewardship principle emerging here, right? So what's your perspective on stewarding wealth? Again, I know these are broad questions, but at large, what's your view of stewarding wealth?
1: When you say wealth, do you mean, are you talking about money?
0: I am talking about, the, here I'm talking about resources. Financial resources, yeah, Financial whatever. resources, um, that's what I would be talking about from a steward, stewarding wealth standpoint, yes. Because, again, there there can be a bad rap, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, this is, owns this portfolio and, and doesn't care about people and, and all of that. Does that make sense? And so what's your principle of stewarding wealth in all of that?
1: Yeah, it's something that I feel like I'm still growing in and still learning. Um, What I've found so fascinating is, you know, we grew up here in Lancaster County. We have what we consider to be normal. And I think what we tend to forget. Okay, so right now, as as we sit here in Lancaster County, you know, if someone is making, you know, what, 70,000 a year, they're pretty pretty normal, right? Mm. Probably working a a job, whatever it might be. That's pretty normal. So we would never look at that person as like incredibly wealthy. And it's like, oh, I wonder what they do with all their money. Even though, I don't know this number off the top of my head, but they're probably – in the top what 3 to 4% of the world's wealthiest yeah,
0: if not even the top 2%. Yeah. So
1: I just find it interesting that we kind of always make those assumptions or judgments about people based off of what we think is normal around us. Yeah. So when your income reaches 100,000 or 500,000 or a million or whatever the number may be, all of a sudden we look at those people as like you know, what are they doing or, and, you know, whether, you know, some people, you know, can't wrap their mind around owning a number of properties for whatever reason. So the person that owns, you know, a couple dozen or whatever the number. So it doesn't, for me, it doesn't even feel like the the growth for me has been very slow and very steady. Mm -hmm. I've always been surrounded by people that have done way more than I have And I'm not making a joke when I say I still sometimes feel like I'm just getting started. Yeah. Because it's all in what you compare it to.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think when you get to a point where you kind of have your financial piece of your life somewhat figured out, so to speak, you realize that it's not like you've really arrived anywhere. It just, I mean, I think for me, I just want to steward well what I have. Yeah. While I pursue more, um, the Lord could very well change my mm-hmm. perspective on that at some point. But for me to this point, I make no apologies mm. for growing investments, yep. building wealth. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: I don't know if this is the right perspective or not, but it's like, okay, you got X amount of money in the world. Do you think we're better off having the Christians own it or mm. people that are not Christians mm. and don't have um the same worldview or whatever same moral character so i just i don't know i've always like i said surrounded myself with people that from my perspective were so much further ahead than Mm -hmm. i was Mm -hmm. um so it doesn't it just kind of puts it in perspective
0: there again, Jake, it's so good because, you know, you talk about it it's like, well, what is wealth? Well, number one, we have to define what we view as wealth. And then it's like, well, okay, we're actually quite wealthy in our area in relation to many in the world. So that's really, it's like, how are we stewarding what we've been given regardless of our financial income in a yearly basis or our total wealth in general, right? It's more a stewardship of like, what are we doing with what we have and then there's a growth principle in the kingdom that, again, if you want to have significance, it's less, it's less, it's more nuanced, right? Because again, we define success as, man, when I get here, then I'm going to have arrived. But you never arrive in the kingdom. And so, I would also love to hear, because uh, the reason I ask, I would love to hear what your perspective is of leadership. Because even a few years ago, like, you have great moral character, right? You're a great guy. You're, you know, well-respected in the community and all of that. And you had all these things to offer, I feel. But yet when we were talking, you would like, well, I don't really feel like a leader, right? Do you remember some of those conversations? And so I would just love to hear your thought on leadership and, like, what was your journey in that because, again, you you are a leader, you know, you have the attributes of that, but just it was like, well, I'm not one. And so what was your journey in that and what's your view of leadership?
1: Yeah, it's definitely something that I would say I've grown a lot in in the last, say, five years or whatever. Um, I used to, it's probably not a stretch to say that I actually pretty violently opposed <laughs> the idea of even considering myself a leader. Um. Um, I would say if I could... If I could narrow it down to just like one or two things, I think it would just simply come out of a desire to to serve the people around me and to to walk in my in whatever God has for me. And specifically what that looked like for me as I stepped into some positions of leadership was just simply it was a result of like saying yes to small opportunities that mm. were in front of me. It was never a thing of, it wasn't like this big grand thing of like, hey, would you like to lead in this capacity? (laughs) It was just saying yes to something that was put in front of me that was more bite-sized, which Mm. is probably the only way I was ever going to do anything. (laughs) Um, And then just kind of growing in that and, you know, recognizing that I do have a gift of leadership to some capacity and when you, when you realize that it's a gift and you recognize who gives you the gift, it actually really changes it mm. because it's like, look, it's not, I'm not fabricating this. It's like, if this is what the Lord wants me to do, if he's given me these gifts, we don't, we don't get the credit for that.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, if someone gives you a gift, it's like, it's a gift, right? You Mm -hmm. don't get the credit for that. Mm -hmm. And in some of the leadership things or what not just in leadership, but in anything, you know, it takes us it takes time to develop a gift. Mm -hmm. And to, you know, whether it's like playing music, playing guitar, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, yeah, but people really have to work for that. It's still a gift. Mm -hmm. Even just the just the concept, just the fact that we're able to Develop that as a gift. Mm -hmm. So if you really recognize it as a gift, it's like there's no, yeah, it just kind of changes the perspective on that.
0: So really what I'm hearing is almost ties into your approach at life of like there wasn't this grandiose pie-in-the-sky idea of I want to be this. It was just there was an opportunity right in front of you. You had a heart to serve, and so you said yes. And then some of the different things grew into the way that they do because that was one of my questions as well. Like how did you get started serving in our community in ways outside of work per se? But that's what I'm hearing. There was just an opportunity. You said yes. You had a heart to serve, and it just grew into what it currently is and again, a kingdom principle of growth is you set out on this journey and you just say yes to the things you are You think you're supposed to say yes to, right? And then suddenly somebody sees it as this big thing when it was just a journey and you're just having significance at every step is really what I'm hearing right. was your process within that. So how do you, like now that you have a lot of responsibilities or you are committed to more things, um, I'm certain that you also get a lot of opportunities. So how do you determine what you're going to invest your time in? You have your real estate portfolio, you're serving our community in various leadership volunteering capacities. So how do you now make a decision of what you want to invest your time in?
1: It's a it's a challenge. It's not like a a really a terrible challenge, but it's a challenge because something that I took away from a meeting a long time ago that I I always think about this is any time that we say yes to something new, we are saying no to something that we are currently doing. Mm -hmm. That does not mean it's a bad idea to start new things, but I do believe we are wise to recognize what the things are that we're now gonna be saying no to. Mm. So for most of us here in Lancaster County, unless we spend time sitting around twiddling our thumbs, which most of us don't, our days are full, right? Mm. It doesn't mean they're out of control full but our days are full so anytime we say yes to something new something else has to go so i try to be very mindful of that um and it is a challenge for me even just with my schedule is generally very flexible Mm -hmm. and it can be a challenge actually with being disciplined to make the most of of every hour of every day because half the time you know it's not like i clock in in the morning and clock out in the late afternoon yeah. yeah I'm kind of on the clock all the time to some degree yeah. um, so I have a lot of flexibility and then you know I think you oftentimes get a sense of if you're invited into something new or you get a new opportunity you often kind of have a sense of like how excited you get about that mm. um, and then of course you know just Praying, seeking the Lord's heart in it, mm-hmm. um, you know, that should go without saying. But uh, but yeah. I I try to be open to new things and yet not always chasing something else because I've I've seen that just doesn't uh doesn't seem to
0: turn out too well if we're always chasing something else. Right. So there's a sense of stability within that of like, okay, we don't have to pursue this grand Shiny, sparkly thing. But there again, you know, we talked about, I talked about pendulum swing earlier as well. So it's like that pendulum swing where we can just be complacent and fritter time away, right? And then we can be unhealthily driven where we think we have to be doing all the time. And so what I'm hearing is for you, there's just just this trying to find a middle ground within that. If you're really excited about an opportunity, you may say yes to it, but understanding that that means you're not going to have time to do some of the other things that you we're probably once excited about maybe that season has closed is really what I'm hearing and so one of the things I mean we're both thinkers you know you're a deep thinker I'm a thinker we have these types of discussions and then we often forget to have fun and so um what does Jake do for fun and I and it's probably all of life is fun probably maybe you don't have any challenges right but when it yeah what do you do to recharge what's fun for you
1: some of the most fun things that I get to do are really around work and serving in what I do. Mm. Um, I mean, I do have a few hobbies. I enjoy playing some music, playing guitar. Uh, I enjoy traveling, which I have not done a lot of um, recently, but I honestly do. Some days, don't get me wrong, when you, when you have a lot of responsibilities, you get in some days that you have some problems and it's not always fun, all right? Yeah. But I honestly do, a lot of the things that I do on a day-to-day basis are fun for me. Mm -hmm. And some of the most fulfilling times, some of of the most fulfilling things that I get to do are the times where I don't know if I'm working or playing. (laughs) And an example of that might be um, later today, for example, I plan to head up to our Harrisburg Airbnb property, have some things I want to do there tomorrow the reason I'll go this afternoon is just because I enjoy spending time there. I'll take my laptop along. I'll work while I'm there. I'll put more bird seed in the feeder if need be, <laughs> and I'll watch the birds as I work. Yeah. And i that's one of the examples where I don't know if I'm working or playing. Yeah. You know, um, and I get that that's not a reality for everyone. There are, you know, most people are going to, at least for some part, some times in their lives they're going to be working for someone else they're going to be committed to a schedule Mm -hmm. and I think that's great I'm not downplaying that Uh, I've done that for I did that for a long time and I learned a lot during those years Uh, to me the most fun thing is just when I am having so much fun working that I don't even know if I'm (laughs) if I'm working or playing
0: that's so good and so as we think about, uh, you know, getting towards wrapping up here, you know, we've been talking about what does it mean to live a life of significance? You have achieved uh, some su- success by human standards, per se. Um, but as you think about living a life of significance, what's a lasting impact that you hope to have uh, out of your life?
1: Can I can I go back and just have me add one more comment on yeah. our previous uh, thing there before I answer yeah. that question? yeah. Certainly. So there's a quote that I absolutely love. And this is what I'm talking about when I say about having the most fun when I'm not sure if I'm working or playing. And I'm just going to read it here. It says A master in the art of living draws no sharp distinction between his work and his play, his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his education and his recreation. He hardly knows which is which. He Mm. simply pursues his vision of excellence through whatever he is doing and leaves others to determine whether he is working or playing. (laughs) To himself, he always appears to Mm. be doing both. Wow. And I'm not saying I have completely arrived at that, Mm
0: -hmm. but I do
1: experience times like that, and that is what I'm talking about when I say that's when I'm having the most fun.
0: Yeah. And so really what I'm hearing, thriving. When you're thriving in life, what it is, exactly what it looks like, doesn't matter as much as you're just thriving. And then other people can equate whether or not you're being successful or not, right? But you're just thriving in the areas that God has called you to. Right. Yeah.
1: That's right. Now, to answer your question about a life of significance is what you said.
0: Yeah. So what lasting impact (laughs) do you hope that your life has?
1: So that too, is, it's, such a, it's such a loaded question. Yeah, we're not
0: giving you, we're not giving you softball questions here. We're, um, we're going after it.
1: I think for all of us, I mean, there's a number of different ways you could kind of boil this one down. But I think every single person just wants to know that their life made a difference for someone else. Mm-hmm. That could be in a big way or a small way. But I think God created this in a way that we want to make a difference for someone else. You know, one of the biggest compliments that I can get is when someone will tell me, you know, something that I shared at a meeting or through a conversation, you know, five years ago, ten years ago, whatever. And I'm like, wow, like I didn't even I don't even (laughs) remember that I said that. Like I I hope it was good advice because they remembered it. Yeah. Um and another thing, this will be more of a specific thing where, and I think a lot of our perspective on this, our perspective comes from our personal journeys. Mm. So if I could point it to something a bit more specific, I would say I want to help people experience freedom. Mm. And that could be financial freedom um, through education around business, real estate investing. Mm. Or it could be freedom... um, in more in terms of, of religious bondage, for lack of a better term. Mm. Um, the Lord really wants us to be free. Yeah. And if I, can experience, if I can help someone experience freedom,
0: that's a win. Wow. That's amazing. And, and so if, if you're thriving personally, it's like, man, I want to see others thrive. And I am willing to serve in our community um, and serve people to make that happen. And for you, that's a life well lived if you can accomplish some of that. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? That's right. Yeah. Well, and so again, I mean, our our measure of what success is, when we really break it down and talk about it, it, it doesn't become about things, about certain mile markers, about certain thresholds. It's about are you having significance? Are you influencing? Are you having a positive impact on people? Uh, that's really what I've heard even in our conversation, regardless of whether you're in real estate or family, the areas of serving you do. And so yet again, I just want to thank you for being a great friend, Jake. Thanks for taking time to be here this morning. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts or comments you want to share with our guests yet, or if you feel like you're pretty well uh, good to go.
1: I I do have a quick comment here, if we have time for that. And it comes from a book that I read recently, and it has to do with how we change and how we grow. And this is exciting to me, knowing that there's always more. And it's the, the, the concept is simply this. So there was a study, actually we'll start with this. So if you think of, just think for yourself, if you think of how much your beliefs, your perspective, your view of life has changed in the last 10 years, rate that on a scale of one to 10, 10 being complete makeover, one meaning you have not changed at all. So on a scale of one to 10, How much has your perspective on life changed in the last 10 years? Get a number in your head. And then in the next 10 years, how much do you expect it to change? Mm -hmm. Most people will rate the past decade higher than the next decade. (laughs) And it simply tells us that we kind of think we have arrived. We kind of think we have it figured out. Mm. In the study that they did, everybody from teenagers to seniors – consistently thought they changed more in the last decade than they will in the next decade. Wow. And it was so interesting to me because, it, I mean, it really it just kind of indicates that we kind of think we have life figured out. Mm. We think who we are today is for the most part, who will be, who will be tomorrow or a year from now. Mm. And it's just not true.
0: Yeah, it's not
1: and praise crazy. the Lord that we can continue to grow <laughs> yeah. and to develop and, grow as a person and we don't why would we want to always stay the same so wow.
0: so good thank you then jake for so much for sharing really appreciate that last bit that you shared um, jake is involved with a real estate group called lanchester real estate group have a monthly meeting typically over at shady maple currently once a month for education around real estate so if you want to be educated in the place of real estate i am encourage you to uh, research that group maybe engage in that if you want to learn uh, more about Alliance Network, you can visit our website, which is allianceus.org. Again, allianceus.org. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Smucker. Super grateful for all our guests that are listening in. And thanks again, Jake, uh, for being here. You're a dear friend. Thank you for your friendship. Thanks for investing time in us here today with us. It's my pleasure. Blessings.